Welcome to Balanced Black Girl, a podcast dedicated to mental, physical, and emotional health from the Black woman's perspective. Tune in to hear from Black woman health and wellness experts giving the approachable advice you need to help you feel your best. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Let's dive in. Hello, hello. Thank you for checking out Balanced Black Girl today. How are you? How is your heart? How are you feeling? My name is Les. I am your host, and I'm just so, so happy to be chatting with you today. Creating this podcast is its a labor of love. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like a lot of labor, but honestly, it really is a lot of love, and I am just so honored and humbled that I get to have these conversations on this podcast and that you come and that you want to listen and that I get to hear from you. And I just, I pinch myself constantly that this is all real and I thank you for being a part of it. So now that I've gotten the mushy stuff out of the way, (laughs) I have to let you know today's episode is super important. However, it's going to be one of those where it's it's going to help us get our lives a little bit. We're protect your edges. Just be ready. Be ready, but stay with me because this episode is super, super important. If you've been listening for the last few weeks, you know that we are currently in our connection series talking about relationships and connection in different areas of life. And today's episode is a must listen, a must listen, I think for everybody, because we're talking about people pleasing and we're talking about overcoming people pleasing behaviors. And we do so with love, (laughs) but it's one of those things where you might be like, Ooh, I see myself. I'm in this post and I don't like it. I felt that way about some things. I had to also, you know, had some come to Jesus moments about my people pleasing behaviors because they were coming up, but that self-awareness is good. (laughs) It is helpful. That is how we grow and that is how we can be free. Our guest today is Tiffany Hall. Yes, we we have another, we're blessed with another Tiffany on the show. I know last week's guest's uh, name was Tiffany and today's guest is Tiffany. We have lots of Tiffany love here. But our guest this week is Tiffany Hall. Tiffany is a licensed psychotherapist, emotional intelligence, and wellness coach. And she helps people pleasers, perfectionists, and overachievers love themselves and set healthier boundaries so they can stop over-functioning in their relationships. She's also really honest about being a self-proclaimed people pleaser in recovery, which I love that she says that. And and she does say that in the episode. She's super honest about it. And I just so appreciate when, when people are honest about the ways that they're still a work in progress because we all are. We're all still working on these things. And even when you know better, and even when you have the education, as humans, we're still just going to be human sometimes. And so the perspective that she comes from is that of a people pleaser in recovery, which is really refreshing and relatable. 
Outside of work, Tiffany is a creative, a foodie, a wellness enthusiast, music junkie, and she is also a mom, which we also talk about in this episode. And so please make sure you tune in. People-pleasing is, oh my goodness, happens to the best of us. It really does. And when I think about Black women and the positions that we are often put in, in family, in the workplace, in our relationships, we are expected to serve and serve and serve until there's nothing left to serve. That for us, recovering from people-pleasing behaviors and habits is especially critical. You are worth it. And serving is amazing. We're all here to serve, but we are also all here to receive. So if you identify as a people pleaser, perfectionist, or overachiever, this episode is going to be for you and you're going to get a lot of goodness out of it. We're going to talk about where people pleasing behaviors come from. We're going to talk about the different types of people pleasers there are and how to identify what type of people pleaser you are. If you are a parent or a caregiver or you have kids in your life, we're going to talk about some of those maybe kind of warning signs that some of the kids in your life may be picking up some people pleaser tendencies or habits and how to lovingly guide them to hopefully avoid them going down that path in the future. We're talking about healing from and overcoming people-pleasing behaviors so that we can all be in recovery. We're talking about establishing boundaries with people who we formerly had people-pleasing dynamics and relationships with. I mean, this episode is jam-packed with the goods. It's just, you're probably going to want to pause. You're going to want to take notes. It's just... Tiffany really helps us get ourselves together. (laughs) So let's tune in so that we can learn how to release people-pleasing behaviors and be a little bit kinder to ourselves to have better relationships. So Tiffany, welcome to Balance Black Girl. I'm so honored to have you here today. And I just, I have a feeling you're going to help us get our lives today. (laughs) Yes, I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Yeah. Awesome. So you're a licensed psychotherapist and emotional intelligence coach, and you specialize in helping women heal from people-pleasing behaviors. So for those of you listening, just now meeting Tiffany, that's why I said she's going to help us get our lives, because I think a lot of us, myself included, are working through those behaviors. And we're going to get into all of that today. But first, I would love to hear a little bit more about your journey, about how you came to work in the space you're in. And I'm curious if your work has been inspired by your own experiences with people-pleasing behaviors and how that's shaped your work. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I've been a licensed, I've been a therapist for about 10 years now, um, licensed for about four of those. And um, initially, I think I, I went to school, my undergrad degree is in journalism. And so I found out it was something that I felt I was good at, but I didn't really have a passion for. So I went to grad school um, and decided to pursue marriage and family therapy. And I think a lot of my own people-pleasing led me to this career path because I'm naturally a nurturer. I'm someone who really likes to be able to help people. But a lot of that helping, I think, was 
unhealthy. I didn't really know how to help without feeling like my self-worth was tied to that, me being of service to people. And even during my work as a therapist over these last 10 years, I kind of felt like I had to really dig deep into myself to find out who am I outside of this role, my title, what I do for people. And so a lot of the work that I'm doing now is inspired by my personal journey. Um, so now what I do, um, what I found in my clinical work is that a lot of people, especially women, I think struggle with people pleasing behaviors because of the fact that we're socialized to be helpers, socialized to be caretakers. So we don't always recognize when we're, our helping is harmful to us and to other people. So that's really what I'm trying to help folks do is to learn how to recognize when it's actually not healthy and to create better, healthier boundaries. I love that distinction. That's super, super helpful. So what are some of the common themes that you see with people pleasing when it comes to your clients? Do a lot of these kind of behaviors have similar origin stories in people? How does that start? Yeah, I think for the most part, it comes from a similar origin story about feeling like you have to earn your worth or work in order to be seen. So I've kind of broke it down into four people pleasing personality types. So there's the fixer the perfectionist, the overachiever, and the peacekeeper. A lot of people that I work with are like fixers and overachievers. So fixers are the ones who feel like they they need to be needed. They're the ones that are constantly doing for others, constantly being of service to the point where they neglect themselves, but they have a lot of guilt around caring for themselves. You know, um, And similarly to overachievers, overachievers, that's kind of the the personality that I've had with people pleasing is that I'm going to obtain all these accomplishments, all these accolades, because it makes me feel like I'm worth something. I will be seen for it. But really, I found that people find themselves to be empty when they don't know themselves outside of those things. You know, so a lot of folks that I work with are very um, ambitious, high achieving, intelligent people, but they don't really know a lot about themselves outside of what they do and how they appear to others. Ooh, that resonates deeply. I think <laughs> based <laughs> off of what you just described, I'm like, okay, that was, it's probably my people pleasing type as well. And for those people who may be parents or caregivers or have, you know, young people in their lives, what are some signs that they can look out for that? Oh, my child, it, I can see that they maybe are heading towards a path of people pleasing and how can they address yeah. that? That's a really great question. I myself am a parent. I have a seven-year-old and I feel like, especially with young girls, we need to be very careful about how we teach them around being nice, um, around what it means to be feminine, because a lot of people pleasing is tied to that um, because we don't want to be perceived as difficult, as high maintenance, especially black women, mm -hmm. you know? So I think for children, if they have a hard time, I guess, really saying no, um, that's, that's a really big thing. If you see children who I think have a hard time, I think um, that they, they perform for the adults around them, which I think a lot of children do because children don't really have control over their environment. They are very much at the mercy for at the caregivers around them. So kids, I think, who really feel like they need to the attention of their caregivers and they're performing for it. And it's something that I feel like really starts to, to come about, I want to say like around the middle schoolish years, because that seems to be a time where there's a lot of emphasis on peers and in the social world. And so that's when a lot of kids are starting to detach from their parents and their primary caregivers and like think about how do my peers see me? How do I want to be seen? How do I fit in? So they start doing things and performing in order to fit in because that's what makes them feel safe and belong. And I think most people 
I always say that we all really want the same things. We just have different ways of going about accomplishing those things. We all want to feel safe. We all want to be loved. We all want to be accepted. And when the problems arise, is how we go about accomplishing all of those. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I'm I'm just thinking of of more questions. Are you on are you on TikTok at all? Do you watch? I just TikTok? got a TikTok account because my son has one. He wanted me to like all his videos. So I'm just getting <laughs> on TikTok as of last week. Okay. So you're just getting into it. So it takes a little bit of time when you just get into it, but eventually the TikTok algorithm is just unlike anything else. And when it learns what you like. It will then start delivering these videos that are just way too accurate. So I'll follow up with you in a few weeks and see if TikTok has started really serving you content that, you know, hits. And somehow I ended up on oldest daughter TikTok, which is TikToks by people who identify as oldest daughter. So firstborn. That's me. Who are daughters? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I would love to kind of continuing the conversation with childhood and and where people pleasing behavior start. I'm curious if there is a connection between birth order and kind of role in the family and people pleasing behaviors. Oh yeah. I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah. That's, I I completely forgot about that until you asked me just now about just my role being an oldest child. I'm the oldest of of four. I have three younger siblings and I always felt this pressure to not mess up because I realized I felt like I was a template for them in some ways. So they were looking at me in order to figure out how to move about this whole life thing. Even though I didn't really know what I was doing, I'm human like everybody else. But I think me being the oldest child, I'm also a child of divorce. My parents divorced when I was seven and my father remarried when I was 14. So, you know, I kind of felt like I had to make things easy, especially for my mom being a single mom and I didn't want her to feel overwhelmed. So I was like, I'm gonna make sure I do everything right. I'm not gonna get in trouble. I'm gonna get all the good grades. So that way I don't give her any trouble. What I realized was I was containing so much of my true feelings because I didn't want to rock the boat. And being an oldest, you know, daughter, my I felt like my role was to be the caretaker for my siblings and to not make things hard for my parents. And I realized probably during, during my own therapy, how harmful that was to me. I thought I was being helpful to what I was supposed to do, but I wasn't really taking care of myself. I hadn't really been taught how, you know? So it's been it's taken probably most of my adult up until recently to realize how much people pleasing has shaped my, my personality and just the way that I view relationships. You know, I, I actually call myself a recovering people pleaser. So the work continues, not like it's, a, it's something that you just get over and you stop. It's a constant uh, cycle of learning and unlearning and figuring out how to do better. Absolutely. No, I think being kind of that that recovery framing is a really beautiful way to look at it because we're all a work in progress. And Absolutely. But what you shared really, really resonated in talking about wanting to make things easier and maybe not asking for what you needed or not expressing yourself in ways that you needed. It's, I think when you find oldest daughter TikTok, you're really going <laughs> to like it because that's, that's what resonates with a lot of people. It deeply resonates with me. I even think about like my mom, who is my role model in so many ways is like the pinnacle oldest daughter. And she's to this day, taking care of everybody in her family because she's the one who has it all together. So seeing her version of that and then my version of that and just how deeply ingrained that is, it's it's no wonder that so many of us have these common experiences. Yeah, that's so true. And I think, you know, us as, as Black women, I think 
we've been socialized to kind of be the helpers, I say like the mules of the world. So a lot of our identity as Black women is wrapped up in that. And I think we need to learn how to unlearn that because it's, it's killing us. I think about just how much, you know, mothers and just Black women in general do for their families or communities. And sometimes they don't really get much in return. I just say we should be petty and do tit for tat. You know, it's okay to be helpful and want to serve others. But what about how do we serve ourselves? Because we are in relationship relationship with self as well. And we often neglect that relationship. So I really I want us women to do is to really learn how to take care of ourselves and nurture ourselves the way we do for everybody else because we deserve it too. You know, and without us, we can't take care of everybody. Yes wholeheartedly. And just that ability to also receive, we don't exist purely to give. We all need to give and receive. There needs to be some, you know, balance, no pun intended, but (laughs) for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like finding a balance is always a challenge because there's like always going to be things that are going to command our attention and our time. Um, that we, we all wear different hats. So it's more so about trying to find harmony amongst all of those things. Because I think there's really no, it's not possible to have like a think an even balance, you know, not in a capitalist society anyway, you know. So I think that I, I really help people do a lot of inner child work because I think that's where a lot of this wounding begins um, and really connecting with that part of ourselves because we have to work and earn our worth and earn love because that's something that is taught. That's learned behavior. So that's why it takes a, a kind of a lifetime to unlearn all of that. Cause I think I've been alive on this on this earth for almost 35 years now. Let's take it be 35 years to become the person that I am now. It's the same thing with trying to unlearn pain and trauma. It takes time. So I want to normalize that for folks. Cause a lot of people that I see will get really frustrated when they say, I'm, I'm still doing this. I'm still not setting boundaries. It's like, that's okay. This is all new to you. So be compassionate with yourself because you deserve that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Especially if we have decades of, you know, taking care of other people and people pleasing and maybe have a year or two of this awareness, we can't expect to undo what we've spent decades internalizing in such a short period of time. Exactly. And also what, you know, the society around us reinforces because there's so much messaging around what it means to be a woman. And a lot of it means that we have to be of service. We're not supposed to be assertive because that means that you're difficult. That means that you're someone who's not marriage material. And unfortunately, a lot of women still find their self-worth through their attachment to other people. You know, I ask sometimes the clients that I see, like, you know, who are you? How do you define yourself? It's always in relation to someone else or something else. I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a girlfriend. And it's like, okay, outside of those things, who are you as an individual? I think that's important too, because if you're always doing something for other people, and that's where you derive your self-worth, you don't know who you are without all of those things. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's a word right there. <laughs> And I'm saying this because these are things that I actually had to learn myself. So yeah. I know some people, they see my, uh, my IG posts, they feel called out. I'm like, I'm also talking to me. So yes. you're <laughs> so calling in. Yes, exactly. Calling in. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, and there was, there's a little sort of the way that I kind of uh, try to look at myself when I kind of find myself straying away from, from who I am is I think about myself in like these different parts. Um, so 
first, I am Tiffany, an individual. Before I was anything else, I was that. Then secondary said, I'm a mother. So that means that that's a role I take very seriously um, next to just being my regular self. And then I'm also a therapist, coach, sister, so on and so forth. So if Tiffany, the individual, is not okay, it means I'm not going to be a good mother, therapist, so on and so forth. So that's who I have to nurture first. And a lot of us have been taught to kind of flip that. It's like, I got to make sure I take care of my children, husband, so on and so forth. Then I'll get to me. No, it's the other way around. Because if you're not well, you can't be present for other people in your life. Absolutely. Yeah. It sounds like a, a domino effect. If you're not able to prioritize yourself or take care of yourself as an individual, it just spills over into every other area. Absolutely. And you know, I hear a lot of women say they see that as selfish, you know, if they prioritize themselves or even like I have a friend who has guilt around buying things for herself rather than buying things for her children. I'm just like, well, you buy things for your children all the time. You know, you shouldn't feel guilt around using money that you earn to treat yourself or do whatever you want to it. That's what I mean. I feel like as black women, we're often felt like, feel like we are the mules of the world and any sort of privileges or luxury or ease that we experience, we feel like we don't deserve. And I don't like that. I don't like it either. Let's change it. <laughs> yes, let's <laughs> change go. it. I really do think that in the last year, and maybe you can speak to this too with your own experiences, the pandemic, I think, has helped us to really reprioritize um, our lives. And I think that having the time, well, some of us who have had the, the privilege of being able to work from home, be at home, and be safe at home, have been able to really pay attention to ourselves more. Um, and hopefully with that understanding what, where certain things in our lives don't serve us, how we can make changes to enhance our lives. And that's the gift, I think, of having time. Um, I say that sometimes like time is very, very valuable currency, not that money is not, but money can be replaced, time cannot. So use that time to nurture yourself because this is the only life you're going to get, the only body you're going to get. So take care of it as if it's a precious, um, rare item, you know. Absolutely. I could not agree more. My experience with the pandemic has been really interesting because I am not a caregiver. I don't have children. I don't have a partner. And right before the pandemic, I actually relocated to a different state where I was, you know, far away from family and, you know, anybody who would have kind of depended on me. So I almost had this built-in situation where I just had so much time to focus on myself that I I mean, if I'm being honest, got a little sick of myself um, <laughs> after a year in the house by myself, just all about, you know, all the time. However, it it was really, really valuable in helping me understand why I did some of the things that I did and those patterns and getting to the root of a lot of those behaviors. And so much of it comes down to that inner child, which mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, maybe others can relate to this. I absolutely avoided my inner child and have talked about on the podcast, not having a lot of memories from when I was younger, not even necessarily because I've had, you know, big T traumas. I think I'm, I'm very fortunate and privileged that I've really had a lot of little T traumas, Mm -hmm. um, but still just completely shoving it away and, and putting it out of my mind and taking the time to really dig into that and understand what was there has been really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, I, I feel that. Cause I, I kind of feel like, you know, it takes a lot of humility and a lot of courage to be able to sit with yourself. And I think during the last year, a lot of folks realized that either they didn't really like themselves or they didn't like their lives. 
And so we've, I've definitely seen an uptick in people coming to therapy, coming to get services to take better care of themselves because now they have, I guess, time to spend on that. We've had so many distractions about our lives. So we didn't really feel like we needed to do the work. And, you know, I think the inner child stuff is so important because that's what, I mean, when you're an adult for a couple of years, you kind of get, have some emotional distance from that part of your life. But that's where a lot of our wounding comes from. So it's important not necessarily to go back and relive things, but to connect with, okay, who was I then? Who did I think I was going to grow into now? And how does that compare to who I currently am? You know, how did I get here? And that inner child work really helps you to have some, maybe some forgiveness for yourself, the choices that you made, and also just being able to kind of reparent yourself and give yourself the nurturing that maybe you didn't get or weren't able to get when you were a child. A lot of us, our parents were flawed human beings like all of us. So there's some things that they miss. So we can provide some of that for ourselves through some of that inner child work and just learning how to get to know ourselves more. Yeah, that's beautiful. Can we talk a little bit more about reparenting? That just while you said that, I'm like, okay, so many more questions are coming up. (laughs) What does it mean to reparent ourselves and how can we go about that? Yeah, like for me, reparenting is all about getting giving yourself the love and the care that you're not able to get from other relationships. Cause I said, you do have a relationship with yourself. So sometimes reparenting means honoring commitments to yourself. I'm going to get up and eat breakfast today. I'm going to make sure I go to bed at a reasonable hour. Um, it's, it's putting people in your life that help you to feel good about yourself and who actually enhance you and affirm you. It's making sure that you have boundaries. That's so, so important. And I want to say that with boundaries, people often perceive boundaries as some sort of punishment or a way to get back at people. And it's not that. It's really a way to maintain relationships and to to nurture yourself. And so people struggle with that because they feel like I'm doing something to hurt somebody else and it's not that. So your boundaries are also part of reparenting yourself. And then also how the things that you consume. And I've realized this too over the last year, you know, this doom scrolling, taking in negative media, things that make us feel badly about who we are or make us feel like we have to compare ourselves, that is something that we want to pay attention to as well. So consuming things that fill you with joy, that help you to learn, that help you to be a better version of yourself, that's also reparenting. So reparenting is kind of a way of, of, self, of self-care, but it's supposed to be an ongoing process. Not like I go for a spa weekend for one, for one week out of a month and that's it. It seems to be a, a habitual practice. Mm, yeah, I love that. I think that's that's really beautiful and something that a lot of us, I'm thinking about our generation, you and I are around the same age of millennials. I think we have a perspective that is so very different than our parents and grandparents and just an awareness around so many of these things mm-hmm. that they unfortunately were not able to have, or if they do now ha- are experiencing it much later in life. And I think it's really interesting to see what happens for our generation and also the generations after us who do have this awareness and have this language and have these spaces to have these conversations, what's going to come out of us reparenting ourselves. I think it's going to be really beautiful. I agree. I I really am encouraged by how much I've seen mental health and just self-care become mainstream. Because when I became a therapist, I mean, therapy was something that was becoming more mainstream, especially I think among black and brown folks. That was a big reason why I got into this profession because I want to see people that look like me um, and serve people that look like me. And so I think that people going to therapy, normalizing therapy, 
is so, so, so important because you're right. Our parents, grandparents didn't have that privilege. And I imagine that that probably could have um, probably healed a lot of generational trauma earlier had that been something that was available to them. But that that wasn't a thing then, that wasn't accessibility. Um, but now I feel like we have the opportunity to break so many generational curses because people really are understanding that I can really nurture my relationship with myself. I can heal from trauma. I can forgive, you know, my parents or whoever ones that that harm me and move forward and, and become a better person. And becoming a better person, I, I will say this, I say we want to all want to become a better version of ourselves. We're never going to be perfect. So each day we should be trying to be better, whatever better looks like for you. You know, um, and I say this because I feel like people feel like going to therapy or going to get coaching means that I'll go and then all my problems will be fixed and I'm fine forever. And no, that's not the case. I'm a therapist that goes to therapy myself. So I feel like we all have work to do. It is an ongoing process. You know, I think you had an older post on Instagram that said therapy is a tool, not a cure. Is that right? Yep. You had. Yeah. Which is like the perfect just perfect summary um, because it is, it's definitely not a, a, you know, bandaid or like a magic, <laughs> a magic wand, but it's, it's a tool that helps you explore and understand things better. Absolutely. I love therapy. Before I was a therapist, I went to therapy. And I say that therapy is a tool because it's not the only path to healing. You know, some people find, you know, healing in other forms uh, like Reiki or meditation or yoga or even, you know, in their own spiritual practices. And that's okay, too. You know, but I think that as long as we are adopting something to nurture ourselves, that's so beneficial to our mental health and then also our relationships because we're going to show up better in those relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. One other thing that I just thought of when it came to our conversations around the inner child and reparenting and looking at those tools, something that's been really helpful for me as I've started unlocking these memories and going back to all those things that I had forced out of the front of my mind was going through those situations and reflecting on them with my adult brain and realizing how many beliefs and things I still carried thinking from my child brain. Mm -hmm. And you're the therapist, so you are going to be able to better explain this. This is my like novice, just personal observation, <laughs> but realizing that kids don't really understand nuances. And that's why as kids, it can be very easy for us to jump to conclusions of, you know, we have an experience. Okay. This is bad. This is good. I need to prove this. I, you know, because kids just don't yet have the ability to understand those nuances. And so these things happen to us when we're young, when we don't understand nuances, we jump to these conclusions and then we carry those conclusions with us mm -hmm. even past the point when we are old enough to understand those nuances. When we actually start to unpack it, we can actually work through and release a lot of it if we let ourselves do that. Exactly. Exactly. You're, you're so right. Cause I mean, a lot of what, a lot of our value system, the way that we perceive the world, how we perceive ourselves is based on what we've been taught in childhood, what we have been shown and what we've been told about who we are. I even think about growing up and like, feeling like I really got attached to this, this identity around being a good student. And that's because I was told that's who I was. That's what I got praise and attention for. So I really latched on to that. And I think that it took me a long time of having sort of distance both physically and emotionally from my, from my parents to really, you know, understand who I was outside of that. So you're right, because, you know, children pretty much have to adapt to whatever environment, whatever parenting that they're given. 
And sometimes that's not always healthy, you know? So the great thing about therapy and any just any sort of healing work is being able to unpack all of that. And it's not an easy process. It can be very painful. It can really cause you sometimes, I, I do this a lot with people who were just trying to heal from relationships with their parents that questioning their parents' parenting caused them to question kind of everything they've already, already believed because their parents to them for a long time were kind of like, I hate to say it, kind of like these these gods because they were like people that, they, that took care of them, they could do no wrong. And then you find out at some point that your parents are just people that had kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> you know, and I think me becoming a mom really helped me to humanize my parents a lot more, understand kind of, yes, they hurt me in some ways, but I kind of understand kind of why, because they had their own things they hadn't worked there. It wasn't about me. That is such a freeing thing to say, you know what? They're just people like me trying to figure it out. If a therapist, I don't have the cheat codes to this life thing. You know, we're all trying to do the best that we can with what we're given. So that to me, having that, that empathy for my parents was a big part of my own healing journey. That's major. That's absolutely major. Yes. Oh, I love that. And I also really loved your example of holding on to that identity of being a good student and the conditioning around that and then getting to the point where you can unpack that and create your own identity. It's just such a good example. Yeah, yeah, because I, I we're multidimensional, and I realized that I was trying to operate in a way that fulfilled what people thought I was versus who I really am. And yes, I, I was somebody who loved school. I was very much into, you know, studying, getting good grades, and it helped me to make it to this career. But outside of that, there's these other things I have interest in. There's other things that I want to do, even outside of just doing therapy. So realizing as human beings, we're complex individuals, and so we're never going to be just one thing. And we need to allow ourselves the space to take up space in different areas of our life because we get to define who we are, not other people. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I love that. Just letting ourselves be who we are in all different facets. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so freeing. It is. It absolutely is. Speaking of kind of being a multifaceted person because we all are, I would love to talk a little bit more about how people pleasing can show up in different areas of our lives. So how being a people pleaser at work can differ from maybe being a people pleaser when it comes to family or friends or romantic relationships or, you know, how that can differ. Oh yeah. I, I, I did a post recently about people pleasers at work. And I was saying that sometimes people think that people pleasers are actually the easiest ones to work with. A lot of times they can be hard because, you know, at the, at the core, people pleasers are trying to manage perceptions of them. They want to be like, they want to be the one that, you know, is seen as helpful um, and nice. So a lot of the decisions that they make are tied to that, which can actually be kind of self-sabotaging. You know, I see a lot in, in relationships and this, again, it's not, just um, unique to women. There can be men, they're people pleasers too. Anyone of any gender can be a people pleaser. But I think with women, especially so because like I said before, we're kind of conditioned to operate in this way. So people pleasers will, will often kind of pick partners where they where they have to fix or they have to over-function for because unconsciously we believe that that's how we are seen. That's why, you know, somebody wants to be with us for what we can do for them. And so people pleasers will find somebody who is, doesn't really have a lot to offer um, as a partner. They may be emotionally available, unavailable, they may be financially insecure, or just all around somebody who's not able to be fully present in a relationship. So 
And again, this is all unconscious. No one's actually trying to pick partners like this, but it reinforces the need to be needed, the need to be liked, the need to actually find purpose from doing something for somebody else. Um, and I also find that people pleasers are really actually full of resentment and emotionally unavailable themselves. Um, and again, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say we, because I'm a recovering people pleaser. Um, I feel like we contain our feelings a lot because we don't want to upset other people. We don't want people to think of us as being difficult in some way. So we carry a lot of resentment around because we are doing a lot, but we're not getting the, the rewards, so to speak. It's not being reciprocated. But it's like, we really should be angry at as ourselves because we're the ones subjecting ourselves to this pattern. And that's why it's so important to have boundaries because continuing to over-function, over-extend does breed resentment. You know, but a people pleaser is not going to really accept that because we have a hard time dealing with our own anger, our own resentment. It makes us feel like we're bad people when we feel that. Oh, that is so true. I have, I can definitely relate to that resentment piece and have absolutely felt resentful as a people pleaser of not, you know, getting the kudos that I feel like I should get for X, Y, Z and having to remember, you know, why are you doing that thing? Are you doing Mm -hmm. that thing for the kudos? Are you doing that because that's what you want to do or because it has a positive impact? Yes. That's a great way to check in with yourself. Like, what is the reason why I'm doing this? What am I trying to accomplish here? And is what I'm doing getting me the result that I ultimately want? You know, and so a lot of times we do things hoping that it's going to help us in some way, but really it's all it's doing is enabling these, these toxic patterns, you know? So it takes a lot of, a lot of self uh, insight to be able to break out of these behaviors. And again, it, it takes time. It's not something that happens in a couple of months or a couple of years. It takes time. But I think people pleasers ultimately, I think because they want to do better, they want to ultimately show up better. I find they are very motivated to change for the most part. You know, it's just trying to not care about people's perceptions. That is the challenge. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh, oh man. I'm just having so many... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> awakening moments right now. <laughs> a couple of epiphanies. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I think that that's just such a good, such a good explanation of what people pleasing in the workplace can look like. And I also really appreciate how you touched on people pleasing kind of in dating, thinking we can fix or adjust. <laughs> yes, you cannot fix you cannot. anyone. No. <laughs> no. And this happens a lot. There's a, a great therapist. Her name is Ginger Dean. Her page is Loving Me After We. She talks about this a lot about, you know, you can't fix people by doing more or loving them more. That's an inside job. So don't pick people that you think are going to somehow change because of all the love and work that you put into them. That's something that they have to decide for themselves. And I find a lot of people pleasers when it comes to dating, they do date potential. I've been there as well, where I'm like, oh, this person will ultimately be who I want them to be if I do X, Y, and Z. And ultimately that does not happen. And then that brings resentment. Yep. I've been there. My, the way that I like to check in with myself, particularly around dating is I ask myself, is this person a fixer upper? Mm -hmm. Yes or no. And if the answer is yes, might be a good time to release them because that may not be the good fit. (laughs) Yep. Cause ultimately they're not going to be the kind of partner that's going to be present for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The fixing doesn't stop. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Oh, it doesn't. I would also love to talk about 
people pleasing in friendships and particularly in friendships as an adult. I recently had a Q&A on my Instagram and I received a lot of questions about adult friendships, either how to make new friends as an adult, people feeling like they need to kind of people please to make new friends or prove their worth to new friends or people please to keep old friendships going, just mm-hmm. a lot of things with friendships can can be really challenging, especially as we get older. So I would love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, you said something just now that jumped out at me around like people pleasing kind of to like maintain friendships. Because um, I find that, you know, it is challenging to make and, and maintain a friendship as an adult because we just have so many things going on and competing for our attention. But I, I have found, and this has happened to me personally as well, when we hang on to friendships or relationships in general because of history. And so we feel like we have to keep it going because we've been friends since we were in middle school or this person helped me through a really hard time. And so people please are gonna say, I now owe this person something or I'm a bad person if I don't maintain this friendship. And so it's really important to kind of figure out what what value does this relationship add to my life? You know, what what meaning does it have for me? If the only thing that you have is history, you know, it's time to really ask some hard questions. You know, do I want to continue to maintain this? Do I want to try to improve it? Or do I ultimately want to terminate it? Yeah. What advice do you have for navigating guilt in those scenarios? Guilt is something that it's, it's, it's good to acknowledge that it's there. And I, I want to point this out too, because we, people often get guilt and shame um, mixed up, but they're mm-hmm. very, very similar feelings. So guilt is when we feel like we have done something bad, you know, an action. And shame is about if we feel like we are bad, our character mm-hmm. as people, we are bad. So sometimes they can happen at the same time. But the guilt, we need to really ask ourselves, was that I feel that I'm doing wrong in this situation? Is it, is it because I feel like I'm setting a boundary and that's kind of weird for me, you know? And so we have to kind of get used to doing these behaviors because there are, they are going to come with guilt because they're new. If somebody is not used to setting boundaries and used to actually communicating them, it's going to feel like you're doing something wrong. But I, I encourage people to push past that feeling. It's okay to feel that, but don't let that be the basis of your decision making. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I love that distinction that you shared between guilt and shame, because I don't know if I'd ever really thought about the difference before, but that's I, that's so helpful to focus on guilt as kind of the action and, and feeling around an action versus shame being what you've internalized. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think we can kind of both experience both because people, when they do something they feel is bad, they ultimately feel bad about who they are. And shame shows up so much in people pleasing. And a lot of people pleasing is a function of trying to manage that shame. You know, so I feel bad. So I'm going to make sure that I, you know, everybody likes me and that I don't, I don't show up as being flawed because I ultimately feel like I am flawed. And, and in saying that there's a lot of imposter syndrome that happens with people pleasers because we just really, again, don't know sometimes who we are outside of the service that we provide for others, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think we go through such great lengths to avoid shame? That's a really great question. I think it ultimately hits on our our need to be accepted. You know, that is a, a basic human need. And I don't know if, if you or any of your listeners are familiar with the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. you know, 
So, you know, that love and belonging piece is really important. And without that, it's really difficult to ascend to the higher level needs like self-actualization. So when we feel shame, that's kind of hitting on that, that I'm a bad person. So people are not going to want me like me. I'm going to be a, a pariah or something. And those are all very, you know, exaggerated feelings based on insecurity and, and anxiety. But ultimately, we all do a lot to avoid that because we don't want to be rejected. Um, we are human beings. We're wired to be social. Um, and that means that we try very, very hard to avoid social rejection, whether it's in from a peer group or in families, relationships, your brain actually registers social rejection the same way as physical pain. So it is really painful wow. to be rejected. Wow. Especially in such a strong feeling. Yeah, that is so eye-opening. And it, it makes sense. It comes back to that core need of safety and it, it truly feeling like a threat to our, our safety. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so for we, explaining that. Oh yeah. I see. I love talking about this stuff all the time, <laughs> you know, with my folks and it's great to kind of help people understand just how much our brain is designed to work in this way to help us think certain things. And really what it's trying to do is protect us. But in doing that, it can cause us to sometimes question ourselves and to really overwork in order to feel accepted because we don't want to feel that shame. We don't want to be rejected, you know? Yeah. So that's why it's really so important, again, to really know who you are internally, because if not, you'll allow the world and other people to dictate who you are. And that makes you have a very um, shaky sense of self because people are fickle. So people are going to always have different opinions about us. So we have to ultimately know who we are at the core. And then, you know, of course, we all do care what people think to a certain extent, but that can't be the defining factor. Yeah, absolutely. And also thinking about how people pleasers are in various relationships. Cause right now on the podcast, we're really focused on connection and relationships and all different forms. What is kind of the opposite of people pleasing and mm -hmm. do, do the two tend to attract, like do people pleasers tend to attract those who want to take advantage yeah, that's a great question. And this is something I did a post about a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking about, you know, narcissists. Narcissists is something that's talked about a lot now, especially in, in pop culture. And narcissists and people pleasers can kind of tend to attract to one another because narcissists um, can be very charismatic and they can appear very confident. And that's something that's very attractive to a people pleaser who may be a little bit more insecure and need a lot of external validation. Um, but narcissists are also um, very interpersonally um, exploitative. They can be emotionally unavailable. So they ultimately cannot give a people pleaser or anyone what they want because their, their whole existence is, is built around, you know, being perceived a certain way as well. But the thing is, the way they go about doing that is a very manipulative kind of harmful way, whereas people pleasers are always trying to, I guess, a little bit more harmful to ourselves um, and trying to be accepted. Uh, narcissists, I think, ultimately just want to be praised and adored, and they need somebody who can provide that for them, but they're not really trying to give much in return, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So if somebody is a people pleaser, and maybe they have either, you know, a, a friend or a partner or whatever, who is potentially a narcissist, how do you recommend they, they deal with that? Leave. <laughs> I know that's easier said than done, but yeah. see, there's a there's a lot that's written up about this. Narcissists ultimately 
most times they're not going to change even with therapy. We talk about this a lot in the therapy world about whether or not they can actually receive treatment and get better. But most times they don't because they don't have the level of insight to actually want to make change, which is why it's kind of not really um, productive to maintain our relationship with, with them. Unless you're willing to kind of modify our expectations and say, you know, I'm going to sort of keep them at a distance, we'll be cordial, not expect much from them. But a lot of people can't do that because feelings are feelings. So I would say, especially if you have a narcissist in your family or somebody who you maintain a relationship with for whatever reason, is to make sure you have very, very strong boundaries and learn how to trust your own judgment. It's very, very important. Yeah. But ultimately, don't be in relationships with narcissists. That's probably the best advice I could give. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So if you say that someone is a people pleaser and they need to now establish some boundaries so that they can, too, be a recovering people pleaser, <laughs> um, how do we establish boundaries with people who we may have had those people pleasing relationships with in the past? How do we introduce that? Yeah, I, I think it's really important to identify what boundaries that you feel are realistic to set, because, you know, some of us may have a hard time setting boundaries around certain things because of the relationship or say work is a really great example, because at work, there's not as much power a lot of us have there because we have other colleagues and we have supervisors we have to answer to. So it's all about what can I realistically set a boundary around an easy one. I actually had somebody that I work with. Um, who decided to set a boundary around how much time they spent on the phone with their parents. And what they did was they set a timer for like 30 minutes. After that 30 minutes was up, it's like, all right, mom, dad, I got to go. That's a boundary because they knew that's all they had to give was 30 minutes of their time. And so little things like that, boundaries around time, boundaries around um, how long you stay at, a, at a, a social function, and even in relationships with dating, this is a big one, is what you will and won't accept from a partner. You know, a lot of us, you know, of course, we want to be desired, we want to be able to have companionship, but it's like, there has to be some parameters around that, because if not, you'll accept anything, and then ultimately not get what you want. So having a partner who's emotionally available, that is a boundary. Having a partner who's not a fixer up or all of those things are boundaries. So thinking about what it is that we need, what we feel comfortable asking for. And what, and I will say this too, you can ask for these boundaries and try to set them. People may not like them. Um, and that can be hard to sit with. Um, but realize that people also have to get used to us when we're trying to start this boundary setting work, get used to that because they're not used to people having boundaries, people pleasers. So it's going to be a transitional period for everyone involved in the relationship. But it's, it can be done. I have done it. I've lived to tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> and the more and more you do it, the easier it becomes because you have to really trust yourself. I really, I definitely agree with that. I recently set some boundaries in my life that I had just been meaning to set around various things and definitely agree that the more you do it, the easier it gets. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I feel like, especially over the last year, like I was saying before, that we have had a chance to really shift our perspective in the way that we view our lives, how we view wellness. And I think boundaries is so, so important in making sure that our overall well-being is protected. So I think even with boundaries around ourselves, I know for me, I on my off days when I'm not working, that means I am all the way off. That means no posting on my social media account. I'm not reading work emails, anything work related. 
is removed from my view until my work hours start again. And that was really hard because I'm self-employed. So there's always work for me to do. But I was like, I need to have a life outside of my job. And so I need a boundary between my personal life and my professional life. And that has been a huge, huge change for me in the last year. And it's been amazing. I'm so happy that I've gotten better with that. Definitely. You know, what I really love about that example that you just gave around work and specifically with you as a, a self-employed person, the way you put it was it, it's a boundary with yourself. Sometimes yep. I think with boundaries, it can feel really intimidating because to set it because we think we immediately have to march up to somebody in our life and go, I'm setting a boundary, but you can also have really powerful boundaries that you just establish with yourself Absolutely, and that you don't necessarily have to announce to the world, but that can also make a huge difference. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of the reparenting work too, and, and honoring your commitments to yourself and think about just how we show up for other people. Sometimes we don't, we don't hesitate to do things for others. When it comes to ourselves, we're questioning, well, you know, maybe I should do a little bit more work. I have to earn my rest. I have to earn my time off. No, rest is productive and your time off can be whenever you feel like you need it. I love that so much. I'm trying to be better about that. <laughs> that's a boundary I'm, <laughs> I'm working on. i to myself too. <laughs> But yeah, we're all getting better. Yes. Yes. I think we're at least a lot more aware of it than ever before, which is progress to me. Absolutely. The fact, I mean, becoming aware of these things is huge progress because in order to fix a problem or to get better at something, you have to realize that it's there. So once you're able to recognize it, that's when you can really start figuring out, okay, how do I want to do this differently? Yep. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. I'm just, I feel like I've just learned so much today. It's been... (laughs) I just love it. It's been so helpful. I am too. So before we wrap up the interview, I would love to just, and we started touching on a little bit, but talk a little bit more about you finding your balance, finding your harmony, especially, you know, as you said, a a um, self-proclaimed, what was it? Reform, recovering, recovering recovering people pleaser. That's the word. Um, What are some practices that you incorporate to kind of check yourself? If you notice maybe some of that people pleasing coming back and how do you stay centered? Oh yeah. So I've developed a pretty, a pretty consistent self-care practice. I do yoga pretty much every morning. That's a great way for me to kind of just sit with myself um, and meditation and listen to my body. And that has helped me so much to become more aware of what's happening internally because there was just too much noise, you know, before, you know, work, you know, parenting, all of that stuff. So yoga has been a wonderful, wonderful practice for me. Um, Also, I like to get good sleep. I believe in getting a full eight hours. Sometimes I get a little less than that, but I make sure I try to go to bed at a reasonable time. I wake up at a pretty much the same time every day. So having consistency around my wake and sleep times. And then also I find time to do things that just give me a sense of joy. Like I love um, playing video games with my son. I like laughing. Uh, I like being able just to watch trash reality TVs, <laughs> take my brain offline and Netflix. So just doing things that allow me to feel like that inner child again, because inner child, sometimes we have to nurture through play and creativity. So I got to find time. I love to dance, um, find time just to find creative outlets and stuff like that, journaling. So having this inner life that I continue to nurture helps me to show up as a better mother, as a better therapist. And I really believe that I've developed a deeper connection with myself, which I've worked so hard for, and it feels really good now. Absolutely. That's so beautiful. That's like uh, the goal. (laughs) Yeah. Getting there, getting there. 
I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. So Tiffany, how can our audience work with you? If somebody listened to this episode and they're like, okay, I think, I think I'm a people pleaser and I I need some support. I need to figure out what's next. What should they do? That is a wonderful question. So I'll be launching the a pilot of my People Pleasing Recovery Program this fall. Um, you can go to uh, pprp.me, pprp.me, where you'll find some info about how to register for that. You can also um, sign up for my email list to keep up to date with everything that I got going on. Um, and also you can follow me on IG. I talk a lot about people pleasing and just about different ways we continue to nurture ourselves so that we can break out of people pleasing behaviors. So yeah, but you can definitely set up a clarity call with me if you're interested in registering for the program we can work one-on-one or just send me a dm and we can like pick each other's brains or something like that (laughs) amazing well we'll make sure we have all of your information linked in the show notes so that people know how to get in touch with you the program sounds amazing um i also saw on your website that you have a quiz that people can take to figure out their (laughs) pleasing type which is also really cool Yes, I forgot about that. Thank you for mentioning that. So (laughs) if you want to know your people-pleasing personality, you can um, find the link in my um, bio on on IG for the quiz. And so there's four types. You can find which one that you are. And there's some tips in there on how to uh, nurture that people-pleasing personality. That's so, so helpful. Thank you so much for creating that. Thank you. I appreciate you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. I appreciate you. Thank you for sharing. I I told y'all she was going to help us get our lives today. And I feel like that's exactly what happened. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Yes. And I know I was so nervous talking a little bit fast, but I I'm, I'm feel so honored to be able to share this with you all because I really have a heart for helping Black women especially. And I feel like I really want us to take better care of ourselves. I really do. Absolutely. I mean, we... We appreciate it. We appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your gifts with us so that we can all get centered with ourselves and take care of ourselves. So thank you so much. I mean, (laughs) I mean, right. What did I, I told you at the beginning, I said, listen, this is going to be one of those episodes that really helps us get our lives together. And it was, it's one of those that may need a re-listen to really absorb the information. It's just, it was so helpful. Tiffany's work is just incredible. Highly, highly recommend heading to her Instagram, giving her a follow, heading to her website, checking out the quiz so that you can identify your people-pleasing personality. I mean, she puts so much into her work and it is beautifully done. It is so incredibly helpful. That is just a a taste. The conversation we had today was just a taste of her knowledge and what you have to gain from learning from her. So please head to the show notes, check out all of her information there because she's really, she's doing incredible and very important work. Let's, let's get out of these people pleasing cycles so that we can live more and so that we can love more. So thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the podcast. We are closing, getting close to the end of the connection series. We have one more episode to go. It's going to be a solo one with me next week. And I look forward to 
having you come back so that we can chat. <laughs> this episode resonated with you. Please make sure you're subscribed, leave a rating and a review and connect with us on Instagram at Balanced Black Girl Podcast. If you feel called, let me know on the latest Instagram post there what your biggest takeaway from this episode was. I would love to hear from you. Talk to you soon.